Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So Webster's Dictionary defines cravings as a powerful desire for something. We dig a little bit further into some of the other definitions. It says an intense, urgent, or abnormal desire or longing. Craving for chocolate, craving for new experiences, things like that. Now we talk about cravings, we talk about abnormal cravings. Maybe we think about women who are pregnant and have some crazy cravings. Barbara didn't have too many crazy ones. Um, she craved, I, I understand it was nectarines. I thought it was tangerines, but it was nectarines with, with uh, Lillian. Now, Lillian was born in March, so kind of do the math a little bit, so I'm looking for nectarines like this time of the year, and like, okay, we'll do what we can, but we might have to plant a tree and try to grow some a little bit. Uh, Bethy was dairy, though, so, and, okay, so, and, you know, I looked into this a little bit about what women crave and why they crave it, so we crave things because there's something missing in our lives, and there's actually a chart. If you crave this, you're probably missing this in your lives. It goes on like that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But they crave things like, um, like ice. I thought, why couldn't Barbara crave ice when that was out? I mean, it's all but easy, right? Or, or the smell of things. Are you ready for this? I don't know. Maybe you've heard this before. But women crave the smelling of wet cement. What does that even smell like, right? And so, and other things like the smell of coal. And again, this all has uh, some um, scientific background to it. Or rubber bands. I thought, okay, well, here we go. Like I said, some of them are kind of abnormal desires or longings. But there's a list, like I said, of what you actually crave if you're if you're uh, looking for something like like pickles. You're for you're craving salt or vinegar or or some time with Reuben maybe for his pickles, right? You got any jars left, by the way? I just just asking, all right? So sometimes like, it's a smell that we crave or something, sometimes something that we eat. But there's other cravings that go on in our lives, like that craving uh, for power or money or, or adventure, things like that. Uh, one man who craved all of those things and more is today's, this morning's first contestant on your favorite game show and mine, who it is. Tough looking guy, isn't he? This is Yusef, the terrible Turk. Um, he was a 350-pound wrestling champion from Europe uh, almost 100 years ago. Now, his name was Yusuf, but people called him the Terrible Turk because of that massive size and, and strength. Now, he was a champion, the world champion in Europe, and he thought, well, that's not enough. He got on a ship, and he came over, and he challenged our wrestling champion of the time, this man here, Strangler Lewis. There he is. He was a very popular man in his day. Uh, take a look at this next picture. This is him with Babe Ruth. So you can kind of see he's a little older. They're both on in their career. But he was a very popular guy at the time, but like I said, about 100 years ago. The Strangler, would, his technique was he would grab his opponent around the neck like that. He's demonstrated on the Babe. There he'd grab his opponent around the neck and cut off the oxygen and blood supply until his opponent passed out, and then he would win. Well, you can take that down, Jerry. But he took on, this, he took on the Terrible Turk, and he found out that the Terrible Turk um, had no neck to really grab. His head went right down to his shoulders, went down to his massive waist. His technique was not going to work. The Turk put him on his back, pinned him in almost no time. And so then, now after winning that championship, the terrible Turk uh, took the belt, um, the prize money, and he wanted the prize money in gold. He said, I'm taking not only your belt and not only your championship, but I'm taking your gold with me. He got on the first ship going back over to Europe, the USS Barone. So the Barone 
halfway through the Atlantic Ocean, ran into a big storm and started to go down, and everybody had to get off the ship. Well, the Turk, being a very prideful man, and he said, well, I got this, and so he jumped over with his belt and all that gold in his belt, and he went down like an anvil before you know, any of the crew members could even have a chance of getting him in the lifeboat. Now, we hear stories like that, true stories. This has actually happened. And we think, how on earth can anybody be so foolish? You know? But the truth of the matter is, uh, we all tend to grasp onto things of this world um, even while we're sinking. And, you know, the terrible Turk story, that shows us um, the consequences that can sometimes overwhelm us when we lose our perspective, we lose our priorities, we lose um, what we're calling this sermon series, we lose what's the first things first, the priorities in our lives. Now on the opposite side of that, God calls us out to, to go and uh, uh, let go of the things of the world, and then we will, we will float, we will rise, we will live. Um, but all too often, uh, we fail to recognize that this world is not our ultimate destination. Um, and therefore, it's difficult to let go of the things of the world in order that God can replace those things of, of, of him rather than of this world. So without clarity of purpose, without a clarity of, of priority, um, our lives can be shaped and pressured by the things of this world rather than the things um, that God would saw, call a divine call. Now, Jesus wanted his disciples to know exactly what we just talked about, all those things that we just talked about. He wanted them to understand those things. So he did what every rabbi who was worth his salt did. He told them a parable. And we see it recorded here, and I read it a moment ago in Luke 12. We're going to kind of concentrate on that this morning, about a rich man whose priorities were all mixed up. But I don't think that guy even realized that his priorities were mixed up. And sometimes that's the case that we fall into. Sometimes we don't even realize that our priorities are all mixed up. And so we're mixed up just as much as that guy is on a daily basis. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to change the, the, the uh, translation. I'm going to use the NASB 95 translation. I'm going to point out some words here. Like I said, we're going to kind of hang our hat on these next uh, four or five verses here. So Jesus told them a parable, verse 6 saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, what should I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. Tear down my barns, build bigger barns, and then I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good things laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be married. So this morning we're going to look at this guy's life. In three different ways. And as we always do, you know, don't make this story about somebody else. Make this story about you. You know, you be that dude, that farmer that we're going to be talking about this morning. And see how his actions and our actions kind of line up together. And how we can change the script. How we can change and how we can maybe make our priorities a little bit different than this, what this guy had. Because we're going to have a lot of things in common with this guy. First of all, we're going to look at it, like I said, in three different ways. Number one, we're going to look at the successfulness of his life, right? What did it say? It said he had good land. It didn't say that he was this amazing farmer. It didn't say that he came up with a great crop rotation, that he came up with some magical fertilizer or something like that. No, he had good land, good fertile land. And sometimes farmers are blessed with good fertile land, and some farmers are blessed with rocky land, and it doesn't work out as well. So again, it wasn't like it was something that he had done or something that he had invented or something that he was brilliant about. No, he had good land. And you might not notice it at first, but this farmer, we see that this farmer has what we call an eye problem. 
He uses six personal pronouns and five possessive pronouns in these few verses. What shall I do since I have no place? This is what I will do. I will tear down. I will store. I will, I will, I will. And then he says, my, 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 my. So the thing that he's missing, he's got everything in life except the thing that he's missing is gratitude. Right? So we look at the successfulness of his life, and there's no doubt about that. His barns aren't big enough to store all this grain, so he's building bigger barns. He's very successful. But he's also very selfish about it, right? So we're going to look at the selfishness of his life. Because he was craving even more in his life. What does he say at the end? He doesn't say, I'm going to use this for any good or good for anybody else. He says, no, I'm going to go on easy street. I'm going to eat, drink, and, get, and be merry. You know, I'm, I was working on this, and I'm reminded again about that prayer in the movie Shenandoah I showed you a while ago. Uh, Jimmy Stewart sits down to sit to eat at the table and pray before they eat, and I would love to do it myself, but I'm going to have Jared show you this scene one more time. It happens kind of fast, so catch this. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. The most ungrateful prayer of gratitude I think you will ever hear. We were bone hard. He said we instead of my the whole time, but he took credit for everything that happened, right? It's all us, it's all us, it's all us, but God, thank you for you know, showing up or something like that, right? So that, that's what we're talking about there. Again, now, did you notice that odd word back there in verse 19? I want to look at this again, the, first, uh, the part about verse 19. Um, it says, um, the man is saying to himself, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have, made a, uh, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So this word soul is the Greek word where we get our word psyche. Um, it's actually uh, what we call a transliterated word. We actually took the word from Greek and put it right into our English language because we didn't have anything like it. Um, the Greek pronounced it a little bit different. Uh, tsuke is the Greek pronunciation, but it, again, it's brought over. Now, it means, it means the breath of life means the breath of life. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says, um, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Back there in Matthew uh, 6.25, I think it is. It, it, the word psyche is, is the seat of our feelings, desires, but separate from the body. Separate from the body. And we see that in the next verse, that how we're separate from the body. God says in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Okay, so here's where it gets tough. This is what the part that we um, have a hard time listening to, have a hard time talking about. Because this leads us to our third point this morning. We talked about the successfulness of his life. We talked about the, the selfishness of his life. Well, we've got to talk about the shortness of his life. How our lives are shorter than we think. And George Bernard Shaw has some good quotes about this, about death and about not living forever. He says, The statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of every one person dies. Quite impressive. He's got another quote here. He says, don't try to live forever. You will not succeed. Right? But back to Luke 12, we're reminded of the brevity of life. Sort of a gentle reminder from Jesus. Remember, this is just a parable. Right? He's just making a comparison here. God tells the man, your soul is required of you. That part that's separate from the body and that will live on with Jesus. So the question is not, 
Are we eternal beings? That's not the question here. The question is, where will we spend eternity? That's the question at hand. Not, are we eternal? We are. Where are we going to spend eternity? point Jesus is making here is, um, we don't know when it's going to happen. But it is going to happen. We don't know when that ship's going to go down and we're going to sink like an anvil, but it is going to happen. It'll happen to each and every one of us at some point. Bernard Shaw also says, death is undefeated. It's a different story, but everybody's going to pass from this earth. So Jesus is saying, make sure you have your priorities right. Make sure you have, are craving the things of God, not craving the things of the world. And we, we hear those, things, those words um, that we have this sermon series, first things first, what, do you, what comes to your mind? We say we've got to get first things first. We've got to get our priorities lined up. What do we talk about? What do we think about? Because then again, we look at verse 20. It says, your soul is required of you. This word required might be the word of the day. Because it's, uh, it's a, a commercial term, a, county, or a banking term. It's a banking term. It literally means to call in a loan. It means to call in alone. Did you know that your life is not your own? That it's really on loan to you? Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Now, there's many translations here, and I couldn't find the perfect one. Most of these translations in this verse say, do you not know, or did you not know, or don't you know. So don't you know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit and that you receive from God that lives in you. And this is the part I like. This is why I chose this translation. You don't own yourselves. You are not your own. You are on loan. In one of these days, God is going to call in that loan. And are we going to be ready for it, or are we not going to be ready for it? Isaiah 43, verse 1, the back half of that says, I have called you by name, and you are mine. That word mine is a really unique word in the Hebrew language to show emphasis on that possession. Right? to show emphasis on that possession. We can take that as, uh, as comfort, as something that we can, we can lay our head down on our pillow and we can sleep better at night. I have called you by name and you are mine. Now notice that God didn't ask for this man's silver or gold or grain or, like he said, the goods that are in my barn. God didn't ask for any of that. He's not interested in any of that. He says, you are the one I'm interested in. You are the one that I want because you belong to me. He didn't ask for silver. He asked for his soul, just like will happen to everyone someday. The loan will be called in. <clears throat> so the question that we have to grapple with this morning is, is what are we craving right now? If I asked you, what are you craving right now, what would you say? You'd probably go to something physical. You know, I could really use a donut right now. I could really use some chocolate right now. I could really use right now. But what are we actually craving? God puts that on our hearts, and sometimes we go the opposite direction. We try to fill that hole, that gap, that craving with other things in our lives. We call those idols. I'm going to kick that can down the road a little bit. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. We call those idols, those things we try to use to replace God in our lives. When a good thing in our lives sometimes becomes the God in our lives. 
So what are we craving? What's our priority list look like? When we say first things first, what's that first thing we're going to write down? If we make New Year's resolutions, what are we going to put at the top of that? Is it going to be something with our relationship with God, or is it going to be something with our, the relationship with our bank account? Or our weight loss? Or something like that. What are we going to put at the top of that list? In other words, the question is, are we being foolish in the eyes of Jesus? Would Jesus look at us and say, we are being foolish, like he did in verse 21? He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. We boil down the gospel to some pretty easy points. That first point is that God created you to be in a relationship with him. God created you to be in a relationship with him. So we say, well, what's my purpose in life? What are my priorities? What's that first thing first? That first thing first is that relationship with God. To welcome him into our lives, to make him a part of who we are and part of our everyday activities. If we don't do that, we are being foolish. Because Jesus says very clearly a couple times, you can't serve two masters. So let's serve God. Either you're preparing and storing up treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves steals and all, or we're storing up riches in our relationship with God. That should be our priority. That should be the first things first. Things of this earth are, well, are going to pass away, but God has eternal plans for you. And I'm going to say it again. The question is not, are we eternal beings? The question is, where are we going to spend eternity? And God has written that on our hearts so that we carry it with us everywhere we go, every minute of every day. Remember I said there's a list of things that you crave. That's why you're eating this. You crave salt, and so you're eating pickles. Well, the, you know, somehow that, those, well, we're craving God, and sometimes we fill that craving with other things. Because God has prepared your heart. God has created you to have a, a relationship with him and to crave who he is. He's put it on your heart. I'm leaving you with Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Would you please stand with me?